Hey, friends, as you know, I believe in Medicare for all. And as we watch as Trump tries to roll back the ACA, it's critical that people understand exactly what's at stake in the debate about health care. It's why I teamed up with Dr. Micah Johnson to write a new book, Medicare for All, A Citizen's Guide. It's out on February 1st. You can pre-order the book now at MedicareForAllBook.com. That's MedicareForAllBook.com. Early Friday morning, Donald and Melania Trump were diagnosed with COVID-19. The president was then hospitalized at Walter Reed Military Medical Center and received a mixture of antibodies, antiviral medication, and steroid therapy. Then he took a joyride outside to wave to the cameras. This after mocking Joe Biden for wearing a mask on the campaign trail. Meanwhile, Congress stalls in yet another coronavirus relief package as three senators test positive for COVID-19, stemming from a Rose Garden event for Supreme Court nominee Amy Corney Barrett. This is America Dissected. I'm your host, Dr. Abdul Al-Sayed. And this is not a movie. On Thursday last week, Bloomberg News broke the news that Trump aide Hope Hicks had tested positive for COVID-19 and had been quarantined on Air Force One on a flight home from a campaign event in Minnesota. Around 1 a.m. the next morning, Trump announced that he and Melania had tested positive for COVID-19 and had, quote-unquote, initiated the quarantine process. Since then, the president has been moved to Walter Reed Medical Center out of an abundance of caution. His physicians have been cagey about his symptoms, but we know he's been receiving treatment and at at least two points was put on supplemental oxygen, indicating that his lungs were not functioning appropriately. I never celebrate anyone's illness, and so I wish the president, the first lady, and their staff a speedy recovery. And yet I hold them, their supporters, and their ideology accountable for having perpetrated the kind of politics and the kind of inaction that has driven this pandemic and led to their illness in the first place. There are so many things that are wrong with the situation. First, let's talk about the administration's startling lack of transparency. The news of Hicks' positive test was deliberately hidden from public view. The Trump team thought that they might be able to keep it under wraps. What that means is that dozens, if not hundreds, of Hicks' contacts were kept in the dark about their potential exposure. Trump and his team must have known they were exposed when they boarded a plane to attend an indoor fundraiser at his Bedminster Golf Resort in New Jersey, knowingly exposing his own supporters. The press secretary, Kaylee McEnany, was supposed to travel to that event and did not, and still did not alert anyone. The traveling press corps, who were with Trump and his team as he campaigned, were never notified about the president's positive test. But then there's the bitter irony of the fact that Donald Trump's COVID-19 has gotten an outpouring of support from his supporters, despite the fact that, if anything, he is a victim of his own administration's failure, at best incompetence and, at worst, purposive disregard. Here's Trump himself at the debate, if you can call it that. I don't wear masks like him. Every time you see him, he's got a mask. He could be speaking... 200 feet away from it, he shows up with the biggest mask I've ever seen. There's a reason you should have worn a mask, Mr. President, because it protects you and everyone around you from the coronavirus that has killed a million people worldwide, one in five of them Americans. And there's a reason why you should have been telling every single American to wear a mask as soon as we understood that it could reduce transmission, because it would have stopped the pandemic from spreading as fast and as far as it already has. And then there's the fact that despite being 74 years old and clinically obese, both risk factors for a worse outcome, Donald Trump is confronting COVID-19 with literally the best healthcare in the world. But most Americans don't have that. In fact, 10% have no access to healthcare at all, and his hand-picked Supreme Court nominee will likely cast the deciding vote to double that number, putting 23 million more Americans at risk of facing the pandemic without any healthcare coverage at all. So while I wish him and his wife a speedy recovery, 
I hope they live the rest of their long and healthy lives thinking about how many people had to suffer COVID-19 because of their incompetence, ignorance, and narcissism. Because then, at least we'll know the world will have learned the lesson that you can't fight science. It always wins. Our guest today is someone who's been trying to teach us that lesson since we were kids. Greetings, everyone. Bill Nye here. Why do people in the scientific community want you to wear a face mask when you're out in public? That's right. I talked to Bill Nye, the science guy. I interviewed him before Trump was diagnosed with COVID-19. But our conversation about science, communication, and the current state of our nation is just as relevant. Hope this interview serves as some escape from the endless news cycle about the president's health. Bill Nye, after the break. My guest today is someone who needs no introduction because you probably watched him on TV telling you all about science, everything from physics to chemistry to biology and beyond. And he is uh, better known by his moniker, the science guy. We're proud to have and excited to have uh, a good friend, Bill Nye, on the pod today. Thank you so much for joining us, Bill. It's so good to be joined. So you are a science communicator par excellence. <laughs> and um, I got to ask. Oh, yes. Yes. Ask me. Yes. Par excellence. Yes. <laughs> How did you become the science guy? What was the what was the the backstory behind, you know, that that direction for your work and what motivated you, inspired you? I was uh, I got out of engineering school during the disco era. And I got a job at Boeing, and that was cool. But I happened to get a job the same year uh, that Steve Martin became this gigantic big deal. Mm. My claim is the reason every major city or even medium-sized city has a comedy club or two or three is because of the success of Steve Martin's first two albums. That's my claim. All right, so Warner Brothers Records sponsored a Steve Martin lookalike contest. And a bunch of friends, I just moved to Seattle, people I didn't know very well that I met at various playing Ultimate Frisbee, this and that, pressured me to enter the Steve Martin lookalike contest, and I won. I mean, with respect to the other competitors. It was me or it was not me. I did not advance beyond Seattle. The guy who ultimately won the nationwide, maybe is U.S. and Canada-wide contest kind of looked like him and he could play the banjo. But so after that, I started trying to do stand-up comedy. Then I met people who were working on a new comedy show in Seattle. This was a show that came to be called Almost Live. And the host of the show, one week, we had to fill six minutes, which is quite a while in television. That, That is a long time. Yeah. And so... The, the story is lost in antiquity, but let's say it was Geraldo Rivera who canceled. It might have been Eddie Vedder uh, from Pearl Jam, but we had to fill. And so Ross Schaefer, who was the host of the show and remains a dear friend of mine, said, Bill, why don't you be, you could be like uh, Bill Nye, the science guy or something. You could do a bit. So I did uh, the household uses of liquid nitrogen. Because, you know, we all have liquid nitrogen around. And uh, that was a hit. And so I did, I don't know, dozens of these appearances as myself, as the science as the science guy. And I got very concerned about the United States. You know, the, mm-hmm. the president took the solar panels off the White House, 1980. Mm-hmm. You know, a retro move, abandoned teaching the metric system in the U.S., 
and we produced the Ford Pinto and the Chevy Vega. These are just kind of thoughtless vehicles. And so this industry that the United States had been recognized for for 100 years was just moving backwards. And I got very concerned about the US. And so I was a volunteer, I was a young guy, I was volunteering at the Pacific Science Center in Seattle on weekends, pouring liquid nitrogen around, blowing stuff up, lifting a pickup truck up with your on a very long I-beam lever and you know stuff like that. It was cool. So I realized what I ought to do is become what I would call the next television science guy, the next Mr. Wizard. And it just took, you know, 17 quick years. <laughs> So, so basically, you're telling me the fact that you look kind of, I mean, honestly, passingly like Steve Martin is the reason you became Bill Nye the Science Guy. Well, I, that was a that was a turning. That point. was the start. That was, def, that was well, it was the something catalyst. to that. I mean, who knows who knows what would have happened if the comedy clubs had opened and I had gone experimenting with those anyway. But yeah, that was a big uh, impetus. Yeah, huh. Steve Martin. But it's not that I looked like him. My claim for you all to evaluate uh, is that I understood what Steve Martin was driving at in a way that the other contestants did not. Uh. That's my belief. You can uh, decide for yourself, just the timing, the absurdity, the uh, use of props. He was, a, you know, a prop comic for a while. I mean, he was a magician. He did all sorts of things uh, with props, but just the, the, the discipline in, as Steve Martin wrote in his book, uh, it's not all about Steve Martin, but as Steve Martin wrote in his book, Born Standing Up, if you can get the audience to choose to laugh, mm. that's the most effective laugh. Mm. It's not just a reaction. It's where they've, they've really committed to laughing. And this is where, you know, I just so admire the guy. He just He still can just, not still, he, better than ever, can just make you laugh just just so absurd that eventually you give in it's cool in some respects right one of the things that you did for a whole generation of young people is you made people choose to think that science was interesting and um, it's cool come on everybody it'll be fun but you did that you did that in some respects because a lot of the things that you did were funny and somewhat absurd um the, uh, thank you. But this is what, can I just digress briefly? Please. If I had a nickel and I, I don't need that many nickels, I'd love to have them. But people often compare themselves or journalists will compare people to me, which is amazing, very gratifying. But part of what made the show, the Science Guy show good was it was funny. I mean, I was, you know, funny looking, which gave it a, a big leg up. But the people I worked with were very, are very funny, have a tremendous sense of humor. Yeah, and, and I think I think that that showed. I um, I teach um, and obviously host this podcast. And one of the points that I've always thought of in teaching is that you know a great teacher is not someone who just gives you the information. A great teacher is someone who makes you want to learn it. And um, well, that's it. The passion. That's what we right. want is to convey the passion. And uh, that's what I say. What's your favorite thing about any professor or teacher was his or her just being into it? Yeah, they, they love it. And, and they make you want to love it. Um, if, if you were as astounded as you were in the Reagan era, uh, you must be hair standing on end uh, in, in the Trump era. Yes. Well, it's a very scary time, you guys. You know, uh, if, if I were, I used to say, uh, think of me as a one issue voter. Mm. 
and my issue is climate change. You know, uh, the tremendously bad decisions that have been made in the enabling of destructive extractive industries instead of renewable forward thinking industries and uh, stewardship of the environment. Those things are amazing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this week, uh, just another set of amazing things about the president that would you would think would get him and all his cronies out of there. That's the thing I got to say, I've said many times, I'm so impressed with the level of mediocrity or thoughtlessness or incompetence of the people he surrounds himself with. It's really amazing. I mean, in a bad way. It, it never fails to astound. And, you know, th this is... A, a I mean, so he cheated on his SATs? Okay, that's okay? <laughs> what? The president of the United States, the most influential culture, most influential country, cheated on his high school test? Really? That's okay? Turns out he's in amazing debt as a result, apparently, of television. Like, he was making so much money being a, a guy you love to hate on The Apprentice being a jerk on a television show that he forgot that when that show's over, he wouldn't be making money anymore. And he invested on in a bunch of going nowhere golf courses. And now he's into the squeeze. And so understand everybody, if you were a regular person in, in regular U S government, and you were going to be squeezed by foreign governments and foreign uh, loan companies, investors, you would not have a job. You would be fired immediately because the foreign investor could influence your decision making. And this is not rocket surgery, but wow. Yeah, you, you wouldn't get really, a basic security clearance. Yeah. So yeah, you absolutely would not. And so uh, clearly what's happening now, based on that gaffe, I guess, two week before last, the military doesn't tell the president now of our capabilities or weapon systems or situational awareness systems because the president will leak it showing off he'll just say the wrong thing to a member of the press bob woodward in that case <laughs> and so it's the guy's unsuitability for office is really something but because people are frustrated and because of what nowadays people call systemic racism we've ended up with this system that's just just not working mm -hmm. the electoral college was you know a racially based gizmo mm -hmm that just uh, has outlived its usefulness. I, um, I, I deeply agree with, with, with that. Um, thinking a little bit about the pandemic now, we are in this situation in some ways because there is just a, a public um, unwillingness or inability to engage with the way that science works. A lot of folks sort of think that science is a book that you pull off uh, a shelf and you look, flip to the page and it gives you the answer. But really, we're learning about this virus in real time, which means that we don't know something, and then we do, and then it changes the things that we need to do. Masks were an example of this when I interviewed uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci about this, right? We talked a lot about how that inability to appreciate that science is constantly updating itself sort of undercut public trust in scientists when we reversed course on, on masks. Um, well, I wouldn't call it a reverse, of course, you guys. Here's my interpretation. Now, I've been to Asia, I guess, three times. I'm not an expert on Asia. But people wear masks when they're sick. Mm -hmm. They don't wear masks when they're not, or they didn't used to wear masks when they're not sick. So if you're not sick, you don't need to wear a mask was a reasonable message when this thing started. Mm -hmm. 
but incompetence, incompetence, lack of understanding, lack of understanding, dingbatical government policies where one county in Florida lets you go to a beach and the other one doesn't. And <laughs> come on, a lack of a national thing. And then trying to make deals with the governors. You yeah. owe me, so I won't send you, and just on and on and on. So I understand that early on, that sounded like a mixed message. But now the message is not mixed. So don't walk around with your nose exposed and don't walk around without a mask on. That's right. Well, it's, it's, it's really quite clear. But in, in some respects, there is a, a space where there's just, we just have poor science literacy. I mean, what will it take? We have people that? who think the world is flat. We have people who think the <laughs> earth is flat running around in the United States, yeah. the country that has produced all this technical innovation, like the ability to have a Zoom po podcast, That's right. the ability to record audio and video as a result of transistor-transistor logic, which was invented here in the US. And all these companies, Google, Zoom, SpaceX, everybody as a result of the United States' innovation. And yet, I clearly have failed because people do not appreciate the science that makes the world go round here. But deeper it's question, crazy making. what will it take? For us to get there, if we were serious about science literacy in our country, what would it take to get there? If if I were king of the footies, uh, well, build okay, my science guys, king. So, I like that. I like yeah, that a lot. Well, actually. you don't want you don't want kings, but we would have national science standards be required to meet. We would pay chemistry and physics teachers and biology teachers in high school the same amount as the, somebody going to work at Google for the first year would get. And we would invest in poor neighborhoods. A friend of mine is teaching Teach for America in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And she says there's tarps on the roof and blankets on the windows because people don't have enough money to have a roof or a window. Mm -hmm. And that's here in the United States. So naturally, their schools aren't as good. Their uh, home life does not celebrate academic achievement in the way that, for example, mine did. And so... Uh, we have a long, long way to go, but the answer is to spend money because the money you spend now, you get back in 15 years, not in 100 years, and it doesn't go to waste. You get it back. And I understand. People have it in their heads. They want to send their kids to school, the school that they want them to go to. But that uh, ability to choose school movement is just based on anti-evolution. I mean, with respect, it's mm. about, it's anti -science. It's an anti-science point of view. That's where that, all that comes from. Mm. And you're not fooling me, people. And evolution is the fact of life. And you can shoot the messenger, you can tweet your brains out, but evolution is how we all got here. Embrace it. The other part of this is, is that there has been a distinct effort on the part of the president and his acolytes to politicize science itself. You see an attack on the, the guy said the other day, the other day, oh, well, science, science doesn't know what's going on. What did he say? What was his? Yeah, he was talking. I think he was talking about the wildfires in California. Right. With his smirky smirktivity. No, sorry, Mr. President, you're wrong. So, you know, sorry. Uh, but what a what a legacy for people younger than I am. We messed up climate change. You know, we've done nothing the last 20 years at least. Um, we enabled this system, the Electoral College, to elect presidents that don't get the popular vote. We've enabled these states with a very small population to have control of the U.S. Senate. And uh, 
and just, just turn everything against what the majority of people want. So this is, uh, we've really, my people my age have really um, blown it. What, what do you say to folks? I mean, imagine you're having a conversation with someone at a bar and, uh, and they're just parroting the, the, the president's talking points. So you're asking a question that I'm asked a lot and I don't know the answer, man. Like this is a situation where you present people with provable facts and they don't accept them. And so what's, what has happened is people on the other side have been seduced by what I like to call the liar's dividend, which is a phrase I heard recently. I this thing's great. And so whoever gets the information out first, the lie, is at a huge advantage because then the other side has to whack-a-mole their way through all these lies. And so the lie continues to pay dividends after it's been presented. So the earth's not flat. It's not going to be flat. I'm sorry. Vaccines work. They will work. Uh, vaccines will not be ready before the election. Uh, these are facts to get over it. And, um, the liar's dividend that the president plays on all the time has really damaged us. But also what's interesting, and I mean literally interesting, and of course horrifying at the same time, is all the people that have embraced the president just to get these few things that they wanted. And uh, the big thing is enabling businesses to frankly be reckless, to uh, not work for the common good. And, you know, when people talk about socialism, you know, we have social security. We have a small bit of socialism in the U.S. Denmark is a socialist country with huge corporations. <laughs> like, they're not incompatible ideas. That's all I'm saying. And then to cancel health care when there's a pandemic, really? Really? <laughs> What's happened to you? To talk about the pandemic in the past tense, like it's all done. What? Are you, what? Yeah, it's absurd. I mean, oh, they, they've almost, to the point that we were making earlier, is they've almost created a different reality and then are optimizing within that reality. And in some respects, I spend most of my days every day communicating about science. And um, I got to ask you, you know, what are, we, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? Well, the United States still produces the top people. You know, when it comes to putting a rover on Mars, for example, along about February 18th, the Perseverance rover is going to land with these astonishing cameras, a couple microphones. We're going to hear the winds on Mars finally. And uh, um, uh, vaccines production. I mean, the United States will almost certainly lead the world in producing the vaccines uh, and then feeding people. The, whole, the world relies on United States agricultural science. And so that stuff's really good. Some stuff is really good. The, the leaders are still the world leaders. But uh, the longer you mess around with pretending science isn't the way to get out of this or to move forward or to become to have renewable energy and electrified ground transportation, provide clean water, renewable electricity and access to the internet to everybody in the world to raise the standard of living of women and girls for a better quality of life for everyone, the longer you set that stuff aside, the harder it will be to catch up. And so uh, we'll see what happens, but uh, as the president says so often, but this election is the most important election in my life. So I used to say the most important election was 2000. 
when Al Gore won the popular vote but did not become president. And you, people love to hate Al Gore. They're kooky for it. Love to hate him. But the world would be quite different if he had won. Would not have invaded the wrong country. Would not have enabled fossil fuel industry to continue to spread, to pay to reap the liar's dividend. And would have gotten something done. Would have gotten started. So this is the most important election. So vote, everybody. It's, uh, you know, uh, I, I wonder, um, what, is your, what is your note of hope to people who believe in scientists? Oh, that people, that your listeners, young people are going to be running the show. That when this election's over, young people will come of age, will be voting, will be the majority, and will address the problems that we've created for the planet, for our environment. You know, as I just like to remind everybody, the Earth's going to be here no matter what humans do. We want to save the Earth for us, for me, the human. And so uh, the practical sort of medium term things are everybody's going to, a lot of people are going to leave the storm ravaged areas off the Gulf, around the Gulf of Mexico. People are going to leave. There's too many storms, too much flooding, too much hassle. I'm going to go look for a job someplace else. Where are they going to go? What job are they going to get? Then as the world gets warmer, our agriculture will have to move north here in North America. The breadbasket will have to move north, north of the U.S. into Canada. And so crops will have to be created that do better in the longer, in the longer days but shorter growing season. And then the infrastructure, roads and trail roads are all going to be built. And it's going to be a near-run thing, man. They can get this stuff done in time. But I am optimistic because... Young people are going to be running the show instead of guys like me. Well, it sounds like you're a, you're a supporter of the Green New Deal, I take it, huh? Oh, yeah. And everybody, if you read the Green New Deal, it's seven pages. It's a framework, right? Like, it's not this sweeping, you know, 10,000-page document like the Affordable Care Act. It's just – but what's in there and is uh, what I think is controversial is the social justice aspect of it where not just – going uh, to renewable energy, but doing it in a way that benefits communities and people who may have been excluded otherwise. But this is, again, where these jobs that will be created with renewable energy will be in the U.S. or in Canada or in Mexico. They will be local. You can't, when you weld a, a wind turbine tower, you have to do it yeah. there. <laughs> or let's say it's built in Sweden. You still have to erect it there or you're going to use it. And somebody's going to have to do that. And these will be skilled workers of the future. And by the future, I mean five years from now. I mean, not, not in some science fiction World's Fair thing of 2039. It'll be much sooner than that. So let's get going, you guys. Come on. It'll be fun. One of the things that you uh, recently put out that I thought was really impactful was a a discussion on on racism uh, in the midst of Black Lives Matter uh, uprising. Why do you think that still needs to be said? Oh, man. To the point on social justice, why do you think people are still so inured to this idea that we need to invest in black and brown communities? Well, okay. First of all, what is it? Let's just back up to the biggest picture. Do you have kids, Abdul? I do. I have a two and a half year old. Yeah. So is he or she able to articulate the expression no Oh, absolutely. She does it every day. Yeah. How about, how about it's not fair? Oh, all the time. 
Nothing is fair. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not fair is the biggest thing for anybody of any age. It's not fair. So-and-so got this. And right now, the Republican Party is all about whataboutism, mm. you know, about emails and Benghazi and whatever, pick anything. It's not fair. Okay. So first of all, it's not fair to people who are not of my ancestry, who don't get the same opportunities I got. Also, it can be shown that when you improve the quality of life for people in any community, improves the quality of life for people in every community. You want everybody to have what they need to live and have a, a high quality of life. This is in everybody's best interest. But the other sentence that I've been really turning over in my mind a lot lately is uh, in a book called These Truths by Jill LaFore. Mm -hmm. She pointed out in the United States Civil War, the United States or the Union won the war, but the South won the peace. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was white people in the South were able to continue obvious or systemic racism everywhere. And this led to centuries of, uh, another century rather, of oppression mm -hmm. for people uh, who are not, don't, not of my ancestry. And so we got to change this, people. We got to change it. It's in nobody's best interest to have unproductive or less productive people in your community. And it's not fair and so on and so on. So you guys, I'm so old. How old are you? I'm so old. I lived through Resurrection City on the National Mall in Washington's plywood encampment from people, black people, who had marched with Martin Luther King to the nation's capital. And the I have a dream. I was a little kid. I have a dream speech. Malcolm X getting assassinated. Martin Luther King getting assassinated. Bobby Kennedy getting assassinated. I lived through all that. And progress has been made in civil rights since then. I think that's we could agree on that, but not enough progress, <laughs> not enough. And so the time is now, everybody, we can do this. And I am also very optimistic for what might seem like an unrelated uh, issue. I just look around the world at how quickly people decided to stop worrying about gay marriage. Like it was this big doggone deal for so many people for centuries millennia maybe but now oh okay they want to get married oh, okay i guess i guess it's all right do they pay taxes okay oh cool okay you know it just swept the world in like 20 years everything changed and i think the same thing will happen with climate change people will realize it's time to stop screwing around we got another huge fire here in california of uh, sweeping through the wine country okay, you're a teetotaler, you uh, only drink whiskey, whatever. The wine business in California is five or six billion dollars. You know, California is the world's fifth largest economy. It's larger economy than France, the country of France. And so what happens in California affects everybody in the world and California is on fire. And it's a result of climate change. And when you hear people, oh no, it's from the president's, no, it's climate change. Don't make me come over there. People, climate scientists have been predicting fires in California for 40 years, since the 1980s, predicting this. And it has to do with the cycle of the El Nino, temperature of the Pacific Ocean affecting drought conditions. And yes, a century of Smokey the Bear and fire suppression is part of it, but that's not it. It's climate change. And 
there are more hurricanes that aren't necessarily stronger, but they're bigger and they move more slowly. And this is exactly as predicted by most climate models. And so yeah. uh, the fires in Australia earlier this year, these are all things that were predicted by climate scientists for centuries and uh, for centuries, for decades, excuse me, uh, as a result of the last couple centuries of uh, humans pumping all this carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. So you all young people are gonna take over and get this done. Did I mention voting? Be sure to vote. What was that, Bill? Say it again. A vote. Vote. All right. November 3rd, you heard it from Bill Nye, the science guy. Bill, thank you for, uh, for joining. It was a lot of fun, uh, really interesting conversation. And Was it fun? Was it happy? Did we talk about anything happy? I mean, look, the, the future is a happy place if we're willing to come out and vote and, uh, and use science to educate answers to some of these impending questions of doom. So uh, thank you for the reminder and thank you for the work that you've always done to, to oh, educate. Oh, thank you, up. man. Keep up the good work. Let's change the world. As usual, here's what I'm watching right now. It's almost impossible to understand all the ways that the president's COVID-19 diagnosis will shape the forthcoming election and COVID-19 policy after that. But the upper echelons of our federal government are deeply intertwined, and time will tell how many people will have been exposed and possibly sickened in this White House outbreak cluster. So far, Senators Tom Tillis, Ron Johnson, and Mike Lee, all of the GOP, have tested positive. Former Governor Chris Kirstie and former White House aide Kellyanne Conway have also tested positive. Consider this. Amy Coney Barrett and her whole family appeared at a White House event with the president early last week. She spent all last week meeting with GOP senators to support her confirmation. And Chief of Staff Mark Meadows spends most of his days shuttling between the White House and Capitol Hill, meeting with congressional leaders of both houses in both parties. And while Vice President Mike Pence and many others have tested negative, the incubation period of this virus is anywhere up to 14 days. There's a possibility that we may be seeing more positive tests soon. No one knows how far this outbreak might spread. And then there was this. I also think we're going to pay a little surprise to some of the great patriots that we have out on the street. And then Trump took a joyride around Walter Reed in a Secret Service SUV so he could wave to the cameras. In case you were wondering, those SUVs are not self-driving. There were Secret Service agents inside the car with him, all now exposed to COVID-19 because the president wanted a media moment. It doesn't get any more cynical than this. Which is another reason we need to do all we can to get Joe Biden elected president. Go to Vote Save America to learn more about how to get involved. America Dissected is a product of Crooked Media. Our producer is Austin Fisher. Charlotte Landis mixes and masters the show. Production support from Tara Terpstra, Lyra Smith, and Allison Falzetta. The theme song is by Takia Suzawa and Alex Sugiera. Our executive producers are Sarah Geismer and me, Dr. Abdul Al-Sayed, your host. Thanks for listening.